Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. If you're an adult age 21 and older and use nicotine or tobacco, I want to tell you about Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. What are they made of? Cured edible green leaves, food-grade ingredients, and pharmaceutical-grade nicotine. No tobacco leaf or stem. So if you're 21 and older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online and they ship directly to most states. Or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. You know our trusted partner TireRack.com for their fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Goodyear Assurance Weather Ready. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. What is going on, everybody? This is John Middlecoff from the Three and Out Podcast, brought to you live. Actually, it's recorded. This is a podcast by the Colin Coward Podcast Network. Uh, we got a big, big show for you today. Obviously going to touch a lot on the draft. Uh, so, some things that I didn't like when it came to value with the New York Giants selection. We got some John Gruden, Reggie McKenzie drama that's becoming kind of some national news. I'm going to hit on some of the picks I liked and didn't like. Always get to your questions. You can always, wherever you subscribe to your podcast, if you do it in iTunes, subscribe, rate, and in the review section, leave your question, and I will get to that sometime during the podcast. What we've been doing is doing it at the end of the podcast after I hit on a couple topics, and that's what I'll do again today with some of my own questions. Definitely going to wrap up, just especially in the first round, some picks that I liked and some picks that I didn't like. But let's start with Baker Mayfield. Uh, somewhat of a shock, went number one overall. And I, I think this boils down, it's very simple. On the most basic level, I think we all can relate to it. In, in life, your career kind of starts with whoever gives you your first opportunity. Once you graduate college, or some people don't go to college, and you start working. And a lot of that is out of your control. In, in the NFL, you know, in football, in that profession, it's clearly out of your control. There's a draft. So unless you're an, an undrafted free agent, uh, which is not what you were aspiring to be, you want to be drafted, you do not pick your destination. A, a lot of us, I, my first profession was working in the NFL. Uh, but again, I, I didn't really pick where I went to work. I, I was lucky enough to get to interview 
with, with the Philadelphia Eagles. And it was a great opportunity, but I was also very lucky that I got hired into an organization with Andy Reid, who's been on this podcast, one of the best coaches in the league. Howie Roseman was my boss, who just won a Super Bowl. Uh, I became friends with guys like Matt Nagy, just became a head coach. Brett Veach, general manager now for Andy Reid. Again, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but my point ultimately is if the Buffalo Bills or you know the St. Louis Rams or the Tampa Bay Bucks at the time this was in 2010 had hired me, I wouldn't know all these people. I would have maybe been out of the league in a year or two and had no good contacts when I transitioned to the media. And I was lucky. And I think when you look at Baker Mayfield, it was kind of the opposite. Though he went number one overall in the draft, he didn't control where he was going. He was one pick away. Reports earlier this week said that if he had fallen to number two, the Patriots would have mortgaged their entire draft, or clearly, I don't know if it necessarily said that, but it would have taken multiple ones, potentially three ones, and maybe a two just to go uh, get to number two for the Giants to move all the way back. But think of what the difference would have made if Baker Mayfield, let's say Josh Allen or Sam Donald had gotten number one, and somehow Baker Mayfield had fallen to two and the New England Patriots came up to get Baker Mayfield. He would have been with Bill Belichick. He would have been had a mentor in Tom Brady. Uh, see what happened to Jimmy Garoppolo. It changed his life. He would have been playing for arguably the best offensive coordinator in the league in Josh McDaniels and been in a championship culture, a winning environment, and a place that would have set him on a path for success. Instead, he goes to Cleveland, where since 2007, they won 10 games. For 10 straight years, they have averaged 4.1 wins a season. I wrote it down. Starting in 2008, 4, 5, 5, 4, 5, 4, 7, 3, 1, 0. They do not win a lot of games. This franchise, I, I would say over that period of time, and definitely the last five, six years, is on an all-time embarrassing run. Like the way we laugh at the New York Knicks recently, that, that, that's what the Cleveland Browns are right now. The difference is their history, they've never really won. In the last 40 years, they, they've been perennial losers. Things always go wrong for them. Now Baker Mayfield goes from walk-on twice in Division I college. Started at Texas Tech. Incredible story. Could not beat out players there. Had to go to Oklahoma. When he walked on at Oklahoma, though, think about this. It's one of the great programs in college football. Stability, beside now maybe Alabama, but Bob Stoops had been there well before Nick Saban ever showed up. No program at the highest level had more stability than Oklahoma. And he came in at the perfect time. They were searching for a quarterback. He rose right to the shop. He's a really good player. But they surrounded him with star after star after star. And listen, I'm not trying to diminish Baker Mayfield. But my point is, Oklahoma with Bob Stoops, not quite on the New England level. They didn't win as many championships. But on the college level, it doesn't get any more stable than that. It doesn't get any more consistent than that. So he was given an opportunity around the Joe Mixons, the Samaji P. Ryans, the D.D. Westbrooks, the Sterling Shepherds, you name it. An offensive line, Orlando Brown went in the third round. Just good player after good player after good player, a stable head coach. And even when they went into a transition, <laughs> they went from Bob Stoops, he handed the job to Lincoln Riley, who's now viewed as 
the young up-and-coming coach in college football. He's viewed as like, you know, I, this might be a little bold, but like Brad Stevens was at Oklahoma, or I mean at Butler in basketball. Lincoln Riley, if things go really well, he's going to have to turn down NFL jobs very, very soon. I would imagine teams called him this year. I wouldn't be shocked if John Dorsey calls him. What if John Dorsey calls him next year? But when you look at the Cleveland Browns and you look at their history, there are so many things as a quarterback that are out of your control. Like I said, when I was hired in Philly, I was lucky enough there were all these up-and-coming stars around me. Not not just in personnel, but I got to work with Lewis Riddick, who I answered to every day, who's now one of the bright guys in the media. Phil Savage. Another guy I became really good friends with who was working for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now runs a senior bowl, works in media, calls Alabama games. I saw it all. Hell, I worked with Ryan Grigson, who we all knew was going to be a terrible GM. And then he was a terrible GM. But I, I, got, I, I was lucky. These things were out of my control. As a quarterback, who your coach is, who your surrounding personnel is, who your organization is, when you're drafted that high, is completely out of control. He went from gifted an opportunity, potentially, with New England, which would have been one of the, like, for all the, the hardship that, quote-unquote, Baker Mayfield's had as a quarterback, and I think it is fair, he had to walk on twice. It would have all been made up for with Belichick then drafting him number two. Instead, he goes to the Cleveland Browns, and I don't necessarily blame the Cleveland Browns for picking him. I get falling in love with the intangibles. There is something special about him. Though I would not have made that pick. I just would have taken Sam Darnold. I think it's going to be very, very difficult for Baker to overcome all these things that are out of his control. To overcome the Cleveland Browns. And their most important employee right now, non-player in Cleveland, is John Dorsey. But I'll tell you this. He's the least important employee of them all. Because we talked about it last week. He doesn't run the game plans. He doesn't help develop the players. He picks them, but then everything's out of his control. Now, he helps establish a culture, and he's really, really good at his job. I I think he knows how to find good players. But if I had to pick, and listen, at my core, I'm a scout. So that's the way I look at things. But if I owned a team, or if I, hell, if I was a fan of a team and got to start a team from scratch, and you gave me the hierarchy of owner, quarterback, head coach, GM, let's just say those four positions, the general manager would rank last. I would definitely start with probably probably my coach, maybe my quarterback, but one in those two order, and then the owner over the general manager. He's the least important of the group, and he's still pretty important. I, I, I think Baker Mayfield, I mean, was one pick away from being the luckiest man in the world. Let's talk about another guy that got pretty lucky. Now, let me preface it by saying this. I think this guy is a stud. Saquon Barkley is an elite player. But when I talk about the draft, and I anyone that's been listening to this podcast or following me for a while knows I harp on one thing when it comes to the draft, even more than landing talented players, I use one word and I use it over and over and over again. Value, value, value. There could be $2 million homes on the market. And if both those homes were bought in the same year five years ago, and one guy paid five hundred grand for that home, but the other guy overpaid and paid seven seventy five, dollars the guy that paid five hundred grand for the million-dollar home 
got much better value than the guy that paid $775 if they're both worth a million dollars. When I look at the Giants, first off, it's a quarterback league. I, I thought them passing on Sam Darnold when he was gifted to them was borderline negligent, malpractice, just stupidity. I mean, I think it could be one of the most haunting moves or non-moves in recent memory in the sport of football, especially with Sam Darnold that will now play. I think it's still MetLife Stadium. Uh, but in your building for the New York Jets, in your market, it's just, it's insane. You, you have a 37-year-old quarterback whose arrow is pointing down. It's crazy. It, it was just, it was a mistake. But, if you're not going to take a quarterback, okay. I, I understand. Under no circumstances, and I repeat none, is there good value in taking a running back? I don't care how good the guy is. I literally don't give a shit. You could tell me Jim Brown or Barry Sanders was there. Now, that, that might change. Barry, I love Barry Sanders. But again, the point remains. To take a running back at number two, Saquon Barkley, who we all agreed was the best running back in this draft. Here's my problem. Look at the the way the draft played out. Starting at pick 27 to pick 43. That's like a span of 15, 16 picks. One, two, three, four, five. Six running backs went. The value in this draft was late in the first through midway through the second. The Giants had the second pick in the second round. Starting at pick 27, Rashad Penny, Sony Michelle. Then starting in the second round, after the Giants pick, these guys, the Giants wouldn't even needed to trade up to get Nick Chubb, Ronald Jones, Kieran Johnson. Then in the third round, again, after the Giants' third round pick, Royce Freeman. The value in this draft was running back in the later rounds. The value in drafts historically are in later rounds at the running back position. Instead, Dave Gettleman, the Giants, are stuck in some archaic way of thinking and took Saquon Barkley number two. To me, if you're not going to take a quarterback, I would keep pounding the table and disagree with you till the cows came home. But if you weren't going to take a quarterback, and that's just, you were not going to budge off that, I would eventually say, well... Who's the next most important position? You would say pass rusher. So you would look at who's the best pass rusher in this draft. You say Bradley Chubb. Are there other good pass rushers in this draft? You'd say, no, not really. It's a bad pass rusher draft. Very, very poor. He is head and shoulders above the rest of his draft. The value in landing pass rushers in 2018 draft was there was one guy. Hell, he fell into John Elway's lap, Bradley Chubb at five. That was the pick. To take a running back at two, then, you know, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback, but we had been saying it for months going into the draft. There were going to be a ton of running backs where you were drafting in the second round. You could have taken Chubb. You could have taken Ronald Jones. You could have taken Johnson from Auburn. You could have waited until the third round and taken Royce Freeman, who I think is going to be an excellent player. That was a good pick by Elway. It just made no sense. The value was not there. And Gettleman tried to argue that he's given two, I think, perfect grades in his scouting career. 
One was Peyton Manning back in the late 90s, I think, you know, 98 draft. And then Saquon Barkley. I don't know how you could come to that conclusion, but let's just say you did. And let's just say you view Saquon Barkley as the new version in 2018 because you can't hit as much. Catching, you know, on a defensive standpoint, catching the football as a running back has never been more valuable. I understand that. So the league is trending for these pass-catching running backs to succeed. But here's the problem. For pass-catching running backs to succeed, they are predicated on their quarterback. Like, for them to catch the ball, it is out of their control. You have to be able to throw him the ball. And the Giants right now, Eli Manning is terrible. He is not a good player. So even if you wanted to run it back one more year with Eli... How, I, I just can't wrap my head around. I really can't. I mean, I, I'm recording this on Wednesday. We're almost a week removed from the first round. I, I still can't get over them passing on a quarterback. And then I, I've come to grips with, okay, that was his ultimate decision. I, I think the Gettleman was somewhat forced by the ownership who feels some kinship to Eli, feels like they screwed him last year when they benched him and ruined a streak. I, I don't know. It's too emotional for me, but clearly there's something there. I, I can't comprehend this family that has been around professional football for so long, couldn't understand, and, and John Mara's brother Chris is part of the personnel department that in a draft just loaded, just stacked with running backs from top to bottom, from the second round on, would take a running back at two. What are the chances? I, I would say it's not... I I don't even think I'd put it over 50% that in the next five years, he may be the most talented, but I would not bet on. If you said, John, here's $1,000. You got to take a thousand, go to your bank account, take a thousand dollars. You know, I'm not a multimillionaire. So anything four figures, a decent amount of money. You go, you can bet on two things, kind of like a golf event. You can put on for the next five years, who's the most productive catches, Rushing yards, touchdowns, everything. Would you put it on Saquon Barkley? Or would you put it on the field? And the field, beside two guys, which the Giants easily could have traded up to pick 27, where Seattle was, and if if they really love Rashad Penny, or hell, traded up with Belichick to get uh, Sony Michelle. He, he's not emotional when it comes to players. He has no problem trading back. So I, I put those two two players as potential picks. But definitely Chubb, Jones, Johnson, and Freeman, the next four running backs taken, that one of those guys over the next five years, because I don't look at running backs like 10-year players, they have short shelf lives, I would take the field. One of those guys, now I don't know which, but one of them will be more productive than Saquon Barkley. The odds are on your side. It consistently happens. I think the Giants blew it. I think... They were really exposed for not understanding value. And again, you have to separate two things when it comes to the draft. When you're talking about players, in a vacuum, Saquon Barkley, excellent player. Borderline elite prospect. The value, though, at taking him at two was insane. It was wrong. I think the Giants made a massive mistake. One story right now making a lot of headlines. Mike Freeman just wrote about it of Bleacher Report. I know Vic Tafer of The Athletic that I that I work with has written a, a lot about it, is John Gruden. 
John Gruden has pushed Reggie McKenzie to the side. John Gruden does not listen to his scouts. And I, I just think to myself, and a lot of Twitter and social media and Raider fans are just kind of, I, I don't know if perplexed is the wrong word, and I think a lot of the country is like, wow. And I'm just thinking to myself, what did everyone think was going to happen the moment Mark Davis, who is the least cash-rich owner in the NFL, the their own the Davis family's only business over the years has been the Raiders. They have the least amount of cash of any of the NFL teams. Now most of the NFL owners are billionaires. The Raiders are billionaires only because they have the franchise and really Mark has a doesn't even have 50% of the franchise though he's the majority owner. And the uh the ultimate, you know, decision maker when it comes to hiring coaches, firing coaches, etc. The moment he gave John Gruden, $100 million. Uh, money, I'm, I'm sure he had to take out loans to pay, not just Jack Del Rio to go away, but pay for John Gruden. What did everyone think was going to happen? When you get a hire a coach for $10 million, a guy that has been out of the league for nine years, turned down countless opportunities, there was no chance on God's green earth that John Gruden was going to answer to an incumbent general manager. I don't care if that general manager had won executive of the year, which Reggie McKenzie did, you know, after the 2016-17 season, which was a year a year ago. He was done. Reggie was a dead man walking. Now, for those of you that don't live in the Bay Area like I do, Re- Mark Davis loves Reggie McKenzie. He wasn't going to just fire him. But John was never going to listen to Reggie. And what I had been hearing for months, and I actually heard this at the Combine, that John Gruden had his own draft board. Like the scouts and Reggie had their draft board. And Gruden had his own. Because he did not care. Literally did not give a shit what Reggie and his group thought of players. He was going to acquire anyone he wanted. And again, the way this the cycle works now in 2018 with hiring coaches that have a lot of leverage and Gruden had the most leverage of any coach we've seen in recent memory, they get unlimited power. They get to hire and fire everyone they want. And it looks like some of these stories, we'll see if Bruce Allen ends up coming to the Raiders in the next several years. John Gruden might even be able to pick the president of the team that's not even picking the players, but the president of the team to run business operations. That's how much juice he has. When Gruden says jump, Mark Davis says how high. Even with Belichick, Robert Kraft doesn't respond like that. That's how it works. And I don't necessarily blame John or Mark Davis. I would have done the same thing in his situation to get John Gruden. But the moment you do that, to me, here's the most important thing for the Raiders and John Gruden and John Gruden's success. Because I've red flagged a couple things that have happened so far. And I saw this in my short time working with Chip Kelly when he came in once Andy left. And let me, let me preface it by saying this. I do not think John Gruden and Chip Kelly have that much in common. I would take John Gruden every day of the week and 50 times on Sunday over Chip Kelly as my NFL coach. But Chip, when he got so much GM power, a little like John, they live too much in the present. They're too worried about week one. And most coaches are. That's why having a strong general manager, and in Gruden's case, it's going to be someone he hires, but someone he respects. For example, Andy Reid hired John Dorsey. And then when John got fired by the owner, you know, was a big part of hiring Brett Veach. 
he respected those guys' opinions. When, when they can have healthy disagreements. Say Pete Carroll hired John Schneider. Over the years, they can have healthy disagreements. Right now, over these last four months, Gruden has had no one in the building beside his coaching staff to have a healthy disagreement. And that's not healthy for your team because they're too worried about week one, week five, week six. General managers, the scouting department, the front office are worried about the big picture. And Gruden made, again, two mistakes, living too much in the moment and relying too much on his coaches in this draft. And when you do that, you don't worry as much about draft trades and value. You just do it. So when they trade back from 10 to 15 to get Colton Miller, that's a classic coach trade. Because you look at a classic GM trade, the trade above them, when Tampa went from 7 to 12, I had a high-ranking exec with a team that said, man, Tampa cleaned up. They got two twos to go from 7 to 12 from Buffalo when they traded up to get Josh Allen. The Raiders, three spots later, same scenario, which actually different because there was only one top of the top four quarterbacks left on the board, did not even get one second-round pick. They got a third-round pick. We just talked about it with Saquon Barkley. The draft is about value, 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 value. Colton Miller can become a very good player. That was a bad trade. Those things are mutually exclusive. They're, they're, they're not connected. They're not correlated. And I, I, then immediately I saw it with three of his moves. De- definitely two. Uh, Worley, the guy that Philadelphia Eagles traded for Torrey Smith, then got tased and was wasted, got a DUI. I don't think there was any weed involved. But when Gruden was in the league, and for most of my life, and those of you listening too, before the last CBA, marijuana was not that big of a deal. Guys could fail tests. They, they were not going to be in this program. They weren't going to get suspended for long periods of time. In 2018, failing tests for marijuana. Listen, I, I don't care if you smoke. Like most, I live in the state of California. There's a company called Ease. They will literally deliver the marijuana to your house. It's legal in, in the state that I live in. People smoke marijuana. I can walk out of my condo, probably two condos down. You just smell it, the aroma. It's everywhere. People smoke marijuana in California like most states drink water or eat cheeseburgers. It is not a big deal around. It's literally legal. But it is a big deal for players. And they got two players. One, Martavius Bryant. He traded a third-round pick for. I talked to a couple other teams that said they thought about it. They wouldn't go any higher than a fifth, and even then they struggled with it a little. He's He's missed 20 games since 2015 for suspensions. Again, no general manager would have okayed that trade. It's just stupid. And again, I'm not anti-acquiring Martavis Bryant. I'd be okay taking a flyer on him. But a third-round pick for a guy that's one test away from marijuana to never play in the, in the NFL again? And then to take Arden Key, another guy that has been to marijuana rehab. People always tell me marijuana is not addicting, yet all these guys end up going to rehab. Again, I'm, I'm not anti-marijuana. But you're bringing, you're basically bringing an alcoholic to the bar. This guy's been to marijuana rehab, and you're bringing him to Northern California. Like John, those are major risks. And again, when John came up, it was not a big deal. I, I, I don't know if he's a little removed from it, doesn't quite understand. You can only control these guys so much. And these guys are telling you. I, I know Colin Coward says it all the time. People will tell you what they are. Just listen to them. 
Arden Key and Martavius Bryant have told you they cannot put down marijuana. To take a risk on drafting one guy in the third round and then using another third round pick on Martavius Bryant is crazy. So again, starting where this whole conversation started, I completely understand Mark Davis handing him the to the keys of the franchise. It's what he had to do to get him to sign up. I would have done the same thing too. But I would have tried to make sure, and as quickly as possible, because every draft is important, especially for a team that's kind of equipped to win. I mean, they, they got franchise players at the two most important positions, quarterback and outside pass rusher. They got one of the best young quarterbacks in the league and arguably the best outside young pass rusher in the NFL. Pro- probably the best in Khalil Mack. So... To make these crazy, egregious, you know, just swing for the fences moves, not only unnecessary, but the likelihood of it backfiring because you can't control it is a little crazy given the price that they paid. I watch Gruden's draft and just go, I don't know if this guy has a great feel for value. And in fairness to Gruden, in my experience, and now watching the league for a living for the last five, six years, most coaches don't. That's where general managers come in. That's where they help you balance and understand the big picture. That's why usually they're in charge of trades. That's why Howie Roseman of the Eagles or Parag Marate of the 49ers deal with the trades, not the coach, not even the general manager. Because they would make mistakes. They get emotional. They get tunnel vision of, uh, of week one, even though it's you know late April. And right now, to me, the the success, big picture of John Gruden, because again, I think he's going to be a good coach. I, I think he's going to be excellent. But he's going to need some help. And he's going to need to hire someone that he respects because he needs a little balance in that office that clearly Reggie is, he doesn't care what Reggie says. So he needs to hire his John Schneider, his John Dorsey, his Brett Veach, his guy that can go, you know what, coach? That's a terrible idea. And even if they yell at each other and get into a healthy argument, that they come to the right conclusion. And they don't do something stupid like giving a third-round pick for a guy that's failed multiple marijuana tests and been suspended 20 games. Bring him to Northern California where you it's easier to get marijuana than it is to get a good cheeseburger. So I, I think that Gruden, he might be able to overcome it this year just because the team was already so good regardless of these characteristics and the guys he acquired, but he needs front office help and and he needs it quickly. We do it every week on this show. Let's get into some of the questions that you guys had. And this question might take a little while, so uh, it's going to be the only question I take this week, just because based on the draft and it was an excellent question. I was going to use it as a topic anyway. Kobe D basically writes, "What picks did you like and dislike?" And was there anything in the draft that really surprised you? Let's just go over really quick. And I may, I'm going to stick to the first round. The picks that I really liked. And then the picks that I disliked. The first pick that I loved. I think this guy was ultimately my favorite player in the draft. Was the Chicago Bears at number 8 getting Roquan Smith. Vic Fangio, their defensive coordinator. One of the best defensive coordinators in, in the entire league who also has a history in turning linebackers into absolute monsters. Just look what he did with Jim Harbaugh. Now, Patrick Willis was already humming, but with Navarro Bowman. 
turned him into a, a borderline Hall of Fame level player until his knee snapped. He is going to have Roquan Smith destroying people on a weekly basis. That defense is going to be so much better because of Roquan Smith. That, that team is going to be really good. I think the Chicago Bears are one year classic. Teams drafting in the top 10 that all of a sudden is, you know, 8-8, eight 9-7, and, eight, and, and really competitive. I like the Bears to be really solid this year. I loved Roquan Smith, and they also got a little lucky. Obviously, three of the four quarterbacks went above them. Quentin Nelson to me was the big, uh, the big swing, the the swing pick that pushed Roquan to them. And I, I didn't dislike the pick because I do get it. While I wouldn't take a guard that high, the Colts and Chris Ballard taking Quentin Nelson at number six enabled the Chicago Bears to land Roquan Smith. Love the pick. Derwin James, San Diego. Los Angeles, whatever. I, I still call them the San Diego Chargers at 17. Listen, Derwin James easily could have gone to 9 or 10 to the Niners or to the Oakland Raiders at 10 before they traded back. And John Lynch said this week, maybe he said it on, on after the day three of the draft, that beside McGlinchey, that Derwin James was their best interview of the 60 guys they interviewed at the Combine, just in terms of intelligence, in terms of owning the room. And basically, a scouting report says he changes a locker room. To land him at 17, he easily, and I repeat, easily could have been a top 10 pick in a really good first round. And they get him at 17, that's an incredible pick. Again, the number one word I use when talking about the draft is value. That is incredible value. And to to pair him up also with Gus Bradley that has a long history of maximizing safeties and turning guys like that into superstars. Love the pick, love the fit, and you got to give Tom Telesco and and the Chargers credit. Sometimes in in the draft, not being aggressive and letting people freak out in front of you works to your advantage, and things just fall into your lap. You saw it a couple times in this draft. You saw it with John Elway where Bradley Chubb just sat, just hung back, and let madness ensue. He landed Bradley Chubb at five, who easily could have been number one overall in this draft. The Chargers just let crazy trades happen in front of them one after another. Derwin James falls to them at 17. Sony Michelle. Uh, I, I don't think the difference just in running backs in general, though Saquon Barkley, and we talked about it earlier on this podcast, my favorite, the, the best, not my favorite, just the best running back in this draft. But when I look at value, to get Sony Michelle at pick 31. Do you know how good he's going to be with Belichick, Brady, and Josh McDaniels? How productive he should be, not just as a running back, but in the passing game? What a pick. I, and it really speaks to the how damn good Georgia's running game was. They had two running backs go. One went 31, and I think Nick Chubb went like four or five picks later to the Cleveland Browns. You get two running backs going in the top. 37 picks, that's pretty damn good. No wonder they were the national championship. But I love Sony Michelle with New England. I think he's going to be dynamic. I think he's going to be versatile. Uh, they had a hole with Deion, Deion Lewis leaving. I th- he went to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they needed to fill that. I, I think they upgraded. And Deion's a good player, but Sony's on a completely different level as a talent. Some picks I did not like. Uh, let's start with this. Now, I like the player. I loved him as a potential second-round pick. I watched a lot of 
the late like CBS games of the Mountain West Conference, and I, I stumbled upon a lot of San Diego State games. Rashad Penny, I think he's a stud. I I, I loved him in, in the second round, middle of the second round. But Seattle, who as long as Russell Wilson's there and Pete Carroll's there, there is a ton of pressure on that just the franchise. It's playoffs or bust every year, and since Marshawn Lynch. He didn't, I mean, he retired, but he really, remember, he was banged up that last year. He was kind of a shell of himself for them. Their running game has not been the same. It has been terrible. At Pete Carroll's core, he wants to run the ball down your throat. So, in theory, I like, you know, Rashad Penny and Seattle. It makes some sense. But, when you take them in the first round, given how big of a hole it was on your team, the pressure that goes on this player, who's coming from a smaller school, where I don't know if you've ever flipped onto a San Diego State game on the CBS network or wherever the hell they play, there, there's about 10,000 people in the stands at Qualcomm Stadium down in San Diego. Like, there's not much pressure on the kid. And, it, listen, again, I like him. But I don't, that pick, given some other guys that were on the board, I would have rather traded back one more time and taken Penny in the later rounds. And I know Schneider said... And I think Mike Silver tweeted this, that the Browns love Penny, and maybe they would have taken him with the first pick in the second round. But man, I I don't know if I love the pick from, I understand it from a value standpoint, he was going to go right around there. But from a football standpoint, when you factor in the pressure, what's going to be asked of him? Uh, Pete Carroll's already talked, he needs to improve as a pass protector to stay on the field on all three downs, which they're going to ask him to do. You have to be able to block, and he can't do that right now. I think that was a pretty aggressive pick given how big the need was uh, at that position for for John Schneider, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, and that entire franchise. The last pick that, listen, I get it. I understand just when we talk about a player's ceiling, how much upside they have, uh, just pure talent. Josh Allen, you, you can't dispute just his physical gifts, but quarterback is about so much more than physical traits. On the most basic level, from a physical standpoint, you have to complete passes. He does not. Uh, and then also coming from a, such a small school to go that high, to go to a team that, you know, I mean, when's the last time they had a good quarterback? Jim Kelly? That he's going to function at a high level in Buffalo, in that division, in the freezing cold. And now I know Wyoming's the weather's not great, but he's never played in a big game in his life. I think that's a massive stretch. I knew he was going to go high. We all kind of did. I just could not have drafted uh, Josh Allen, especially when Josh Rosen was on, on in the draft. And that leads me to the biggest surprise in this draft. It was just simply that, I guess it was too good to be true that the quarterbacks went one, two, three, four. But I keep reading that the quarterbacks, you know, they fell. Did they really fall? Because ultimately, ten, four quarterbacks went in the top ten. Three in the top seven. I mean, that's still pretty rich. You're still paying a premium. And two of those quarterbacks, actually three, because if you count the Jets who traded up, now it was before the draft, the Bills traded up on draft day, and same with the Cardinals. I went, if you went through the picks the that the Colts acquired, that Tampa required, and the Raiders required, in trading back for all those quarterbacks so the team could come up and get them, that's a lot of picks. That's a lot of draft capital, a lot of equity that you're giving up to get these guys. 
So they quote-unquote fell, given how high our expectations were, and I was one of them. I thought they had a chance to go definitely four in the top five. But they still four win in the top ten. And Josh Rosen, who I thought was the best quarterback of the bunch, ended up going ten to Arizona. That's pretty crazy. There's not a team that was more desperate for a quarterback, a future quarterback, than the Cardinals. Carson Palmer disappeared. He retired. Sam Bradford will be hurt by training camp. They do. I mean, they're going to need a quarterback, and they get the most pro-ready, most talented guy of the bunch. Did Buffalo had their choice between Josh Allen and Josh Rosen, and they went with Josh Allen? That's pretty nuts. That's a pretty big roll of the dice because if the Bills would have taken Josh Rosen, even if he didn't work out, I think everyone would have understood it. If Josh Allen fails, flames out, and just is not very good, they're going to get a lot of I told you so because the, the random fan on Twitter that follows the draft has a pretty good idea that Josh Allen wasn't going to be a very good NFL pro, mainly because he's never been that good in college, in junior college, in high school. He's, his lifelong resume at playing the quarterback position is average to below average. Talented, but he's not an actual good player when the game starts, which last time I checked is pretty important. You actually have to be good at quarterback if you want. You actually, you don't need to be good at quarterback to get drafted high. We've seen a lot of shitty quarterbacks over the years get drafted high. But to sustain and play for a while in the NFL, you do have to be functional to be a starter. And I don't know if that's going to be the case for Josh Allen. I'm betting against it. So, leave your questions wherever you, wherever you listen to podcasts. If, if you go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, Leave your questions in the review section, and I'll answer them every week. Uh, I'm going to need you moving forward. The draft's over. We'll get into OTAs. There'll be some movement. Uh, There's still some pretty good players left on the free agent market. Uh, As reports come out about how rookies are playing, how some of these young quarterbacks will be locked in here. We'll we'll cover everything. And I I think we'll start getting in a little more, uh, I guess, closer maybe to the season with some college football stuff. As some of the SEC, Big 12, Big 10 media days come about, we'll definitely talk college football on here. Uh, but I appreciate everyone listening. You guys make the show. Uh, this is John Middlecoff, 3 and Out Podcast, brought to you by the Colin Coward Podcast Network. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, That grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want, and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.
With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Ready, set, griddle this grilling season. Get the Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle with a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge. It reaches up to 500 degrees. The Weber Works Prep cook and store system keeps cooking supplies handy, and you can carry all the food, condiments, and utensils you need. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate Rust Resistant.